Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. Thank you for joining us on the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Bernie Wagenblast. Frederick Bud Wright has been the Executive Director of the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials since 2012. Prior to that, he was the Executive Director of the Federal Highway Administration between 2001 and 2008. Bud, thank you so much for joining us here on the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. And as many of our listeners know, you are coming to the end of your term as the Executive Director of AASHTO. So we want to talk a little bit about that, but AASHTO is just one part of your career. You've had a long and distinguished career elsewhere in the transportation industry, in particular with the Federal Highway Administration. During all these years that you've been involved in the transportation field, what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen taking place over the course of your career? And also, at the same time, what are some of the biggest successes and the remaining challenges? Bernie, first of all, thanks for uh, hosting me on the show. I'm really uh, honored to have a chance to do this. Um, yes, I've been at this for quite a long time. Uh, I'll be concluding close to 44 years working in transportation as I leave Ashdo, and a lot has changed over the time uh, that I, from when I started to uh, today. Um, you know, certainly when I started uh, with the Federal Highway Administration back in 1975, one of our focuses was the construction of the interstate system. Uh, we were right, really in the middle of that at that time, even though uh, it had been authorized back in 1956. We were in sort of the heyday of initial construction of the interstate. And I think it would be fair to say that there was a great deal of emphasis, uh, certainly in the highway industry, on roadway construction. Maintenance and operation were elements that we talked about, but I think when you thought about the federal aid program, it was largely about building things. Today, uh, I feel like we're in a very different place. Um, There's not nearly as much new construction going on in our industry. Um, It really is about uh, efficiently operating the roadways and transportation system components in general that we have and maintaining those assets for future generations. I mean, certainly they're is some construction taking place, but the focus of my members, the State Departments of Transportation, really has shifted uh, very significantly to operations away from construction. Now, you know, that's all, I think, a precursor to what lies ahead, and we're starting to see many elements of that, mobility as a service, uh, connected and automated transportation, some really exciting developments in the transportation world, and I think they're a continuing part of that evolution away from construction to operation to now even more greatly enhanced operation of our transportation assets. When you look ahead, uh, obviously technology is playing a more significant role, as you just mentioned, and it's moving at a much quicker pace than we've ever seen in the past. How do you see that as a challenge, and what other challenges are there in the years upcoming? Well, I think one of the challenges associated with technology advancement Um, is the ability of the public sector to keep up with the private sector. Uh, The public sector, in my experience, has a tendency to feel as though they need to regulate and and sort of be ahead of the private sector. 
And, and what we're seeing, as you noted, is that the uh, changes in technology are happening so quickly that it really is difficult for public sector owners and operators of facilities, but also those like the federal uh, government, U.S. Department of Transportation, to kind of keep up with all of that. My hope is that the public sector will find a way to uh, enable innovation, but at the same time where it's appropriate, step in and ensure that uh, the public interests are being served by whatever it is that we might be moving toward. Um, I, I see that really as the most significant challenge that we're going to face. Uh, but there are lots of other challenges. I think public acceptance of some of the technology that's uh, about to uh, begin to become much more prevalent. A lot of it is already out there, but you know, the notion of someone riding in an automobile without a driver is something that the public hasn't yet fully embraced. But I do think that uh, over the next years, we're going to see much more of that, probably in shared mobility services initially, but eventually even in the model in which uh, private ownership of automobiles is going to be affected. As I mentioned in the introduction, you've served as the executive director for both AASHTO and FHWA. Do a little comparison and contrasting for me, if you will, about how those two roles are similar and how they differ from each other. They're similar in that um, you know we're dealing uh, to a large extent with the same issues, uh, whether it be at the federal government or on behalf of the state DOTs, the role that I'm playing here at AASHTO. Um, you know, I felt very comfortable coming into this position from having had that experience at FHWA because I knew the state DOTs. I had worked with many of their leaders. Uh, I understood the issues uh, that they were grappling with. And so, um, you know, I felt like I was prepared to make the kinds of decisions that I would have to make as the executive director at AASHTO. Uh, I will say that one of the things I underestimated uh, is that um, even though we're a nonprofit association, we are nonetheless a business. Um, we have to pay salaries and pay rent and, you know, generate enough revenue to be able to support all of that. And honestly, when you work for the federal government, there are a lot of layers of protection from um, having to make those sorts of decisions. So to me personally, that was challenging in that I'd never really operated a business before I had uh, been involved in leading a federal agency. But, you know, again, the, the types of issues that we're dealing with, the people that we were engaging with uh, were very similar between my time at Federal Highways and at AASHTO. One of the things I would imagine that you've seen change over the 44 years that you've been involved with transportation, looking at the national political scene, is how on a national level there's been a growth in polarity and divisiveness, yet in the transportation world that does not seem to be as prevalent. Why do you think that is? You know, people have had various ways of characterizing that phenomenon through the years. Uh, some have made the statement there is no such thing as Democratic roads or Republican bridges. Um, you know, I, I think infrastructure is something that uh, it's easy for politicians of, of any stripe to rally behind and rally around, and we've seen that consistently through time. I would say, honestly, though, Bernie, that um, I feel as though there has been more partisanship uh, in the transportation sector in recent times than I certainly recall early on in my career. Uh, and I, I attribute a, a substantial part of it to the fact that while during much of the time that I was at the Federal Highway Administration, 
the struggle was not over uh, how much money was going to be flowing into the highway trust fund, but more how much of the highway trust fund were we going to spend. Now, uh, obviously, we struggle just to keep up with the current levels of funding that flow through the federal government. Um, And those discussions, ones involving taxation, I think have the tendency to be much more polarizing and much more partisan. Now, that's not to say that, you know, either party has actively pursued a gasoline tax increase or other revenue enhancements. But I do think that that part of the discussion is a much more difficult one and and more likely to be a political discussion rather than one of, you know, sort of a pragmatic approach to coming together around something that we all support. But you talked a bit about technology and mobility as a service, for example. Just looking at it from a very personal perspective, what excites you the most about technology and transportation and what you see lying ahead? Well, both from a personal and professional level, I would say what excites me about technology uh, most is the ability to save lives. Um, We know that 37,000 people are dying in transportation crashes, uh, highway transportation crashes in the United States each year. That number has varied some, but that's about where we are now. Um, We know that um, human behavior is a factor in uh, a very large majority of those crashes. And if we could find ways to minimize that aspect of transportation, um, you know, I think it's, it's going to be profound and it's going to be something that we could all look back on and say, how in the world did we ever live in a place where 37,000 lives lost each year was tolerable? Um, technology has the ability to do that. As an older person, obviously I am one uh, since I've been working for 44 years, uh, I also am excited about the fact that uh, older people, but other people who might not necessarily have the capacity to operate an automobile, um, will have options for mobility that don't exist today. Uh, And I think that's something important that, that offers opportunity to Americans of all ages, but for some that uh, see a diminishing ability to uh, move about and do the things that they want to do in their lives, I think technology offers the uh, promise of much greater mobility and much greater independence. And speaking of that mobility and that independence, particularly for older people, but for those as well who maybe have a disability, autonomous vehicles, certainly something that seems to have captured the attention and imagination of the general public. Tell me a bit about what you see with that in terms of the potential and some of the challenges with that. I think the potential is there to completely change the way in which we think about transportation. Um, You know, certainly the model of Owning my own automobile or multiple automobiles is one that I think uh, we're going to be revisiting uh, over the next decade or so. Um, I think the notion of parking in urbanized areas, something that takes up a huge amount of space uh, and expensive real estate, um, is something that may be revisited in an era of shared mobility and autonomous vehicles. Um, You know, the ability to do things other than drive your car in that time that you're getting from one place to another, um, I think has the potential to make a profound change. I can start my work day, you know, maybe I wouldn't want to, but I can start my work day as soon as I get in that vehicle and start headed in the direction of an office. So, I mean, I think there are a lot of elements of it that um, are going to very substantially change the way in which we live, the places that we live, and the options that we have for uh, getting from place to place. 
Well, since AASHTO is made up of public agencies, what do you think public agencies should be doing and can be doing to better prepare for the advent of autonomous vehicles? That's a great question and one that we are uh, grappling with um, and that our members, the state DOTs, are very much concerned about. I mean, one of the things that uh, public officials, I believe, worry about is, are we making the right investments at the right time? And no public official wants to be accused of having wasted money on something that doesn't come to fruition. And I think, you know, many of our state DOT CEOs are facing those sorts of challenges right now. There are a lot of potential different directions that technology can go. So what investment do you, as a public sector leader, make to ensure that your state or your city is continuing to progress but not going to lose out on something that might be out there 10 or 15 years from now because you've made the wrong investment at this time? I think that's probably the biggest challenge. Um, What I think that means is that you have to operate within an area that assumes that there's going to be some flexibility in moving in a different direction at some point if necessary. Um, You know, for example, we talk about digital short-range communications as one of the things that's going to enable connected uh, autonomy, but we don't know that DSRC is necessarily going to be the technology of use 10 or 15 or 20 years from now. So you have to build the capability to transition to another technology. That means some redundancy, um, but it also means some flexibility in the way in which you plan for uh, what the future transportation system might look like. Last month on the podcast, our guest was Kirk Steidel, the retired, now Michigan DOT director, and we asked him this question, and I'm going to ask you the same question, taking out your crystal ball. What do you see as when the uh, autonomous vehicles will be widely deployed on roadways? Well, I would defer to whatever Kirk said to start, (laughs) because he's much more knowledgeable (laughs) in these matters than I am. But in in all seriousness, um, you know, I think the point at which we will reach relative ubiquity, I think, is 15 to 20 years down the line. Uh, We know that there are legitimate commercial operations already underway in cities around the country. We know that there are college campuses, for example, that are using automated vehicles and other enclosed environments of that sort where the technology can work and it's in a relatively safe space. Um, But, I mean, one of the things that we also know about any new technology is that penetrating the entire vehicle fleet is almost a generational concept. Uh, A new vehicle that I buy today that doesn't have all of those autonomous features could still be in operation 10 or 15 or maybe even 20 years from now. And so, you know, unless there is a pretty substantial aftermarket for the kinds of technology that are necessary for complete autonomy, uh, it's going to take a while to get that full vehicle fleet penetration. But we're going to see it. Well, I mean, we're seeing it now, of course, and I think we're going to see it accelerating as we get uh, into the fairly immediate future. One of the things I know you were very involved with uh, during your time at AASHTO was the authorization for the Transportation Act. And one of the uh, big things with that, obviously, gets to be funding. Your undergraduate degree is in economics from Virginia Tech. Do you think that gave you any special insight into the economics of transportation? Um, I wish I could say that it did. Uh, I don't know that it actually did, Bernie. I mean, I think it's the, the economics of transportation as it relates to uh, funding at the federal level, I think, are pretty straightforward. 
Um, we operate with a user pay model. Um, that model has not been as, um, as strict, if you will, in the last decade or so because there has been, uh, no other way to put it, a lack of political will to address the fact that the federal gasoline tax is not keeping up with the needs or to the desired level of funding uh, that the federal government wishes to put forward for transportation investment. And so, you know, it really is a pretty simple concept. If we believe in user pays and if we can show benefits to those users, um, then we should be willing to say uh, in order to maintain the current level of underinvestment, I think there's no other way to look at it, or maybe more significantly to find a way to invest even more, um, we have to address the user fee. Uh, You know, I think we've done uh, as an industry a relatively poor job in making sure that the public understands just how little they actually are paying each year in taxes to support the investment that takes place in transportation. And so, you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward, pretty direct, but it's also very political. Uh, and I think we have fallen into that, this becoming a much more politicized program in recent times than once was the case. What do you think the industry can do to better educate the public to help them understand what those needs are? You know, everyone is familiar with potholes as they're driving. They see those, but they're less familiar with bridge infrastructure and things that are more hidden from you. How do we educate the public about the needs that are there and the need to pay for it, obviously? Yeah, it's, it's the question of for the ages, I think, Bernie. And, um, you know, we've been struggling with the answer to that question for quite some time. I do think that the point where we are now of technology and mobility as a service really becoming phenomena that the public is beginning to understand and is going to demand as they understand what benefits it could provide to them, maybe offer that opportunity for uh, the public not to take transportation as much for granted as I think they do on a daily basis. I mean, think about it. Uh, You know, when I get in my car in the morning to come to work, um, I really don't really pay that much attention to uh, you know, the fact that somebody had to build that facility, build that bridge over the Potomac River, uh, maintain and operate those facilities. You just get in the car, plug it in, and, and go. Um, I think mobility as a service um, and the technology associated with that brings transportation back more into an arena where people are thinking about it and people are expecting more. And hopefully we'll understand that in order for that more to exist, it's going to require some investment, not a substantial amount. I mean, frankly, we're talking for the average user today in the hundreds of dollars a year as opposed to thousands or ten thousands. And if we could just, I think, better articulate that case and help the public understand this is a relatively minimal investment for the great benefits that you receive from an effective transportation network, um, I think we'll have a better chance of ensuring that we have the dollars necessary to make those investments in the future. As you come up to the close of this chapter of your career, but looking back over the entirety of the 44 years that you've spent in the transportation field, for a young person that's thinking about the field or maybe just getting started, what advice would you offer to them as they begin their career? Well, it is a great field in which to make a career. Um, I think one of the things that's even more apparent today than was the case when I started is that it is very multidisciplinary. Um, You know, certainly 
going back to what I described earlier in this conversation about uh, the interstate construction era, it was very civil engineering dominated, and for good reason. That's what we were doing. We were building roads and bridges. We're not really in that mode as much anymore. It doesn't mean that we don't need great civil engineers. We do. Um, but we need a lot of other disciplines, and, and there are a lot of ways in which one can contribute in transportation today that weren't nearly as prominent uh, 40 years ago. That means that um, you know people of very different backgrounds, whether it be IT or economics or uh, other advanced technology fields, have a chance to be a part of something that really can redefine the way in which our society operates. And you know, if I'm somebody that is starting my career, uh, I hope I would find that to be very exciting and something that I would want to be associated with. And looking ahead, come January, as you leave Ashto, what do you see for yourself? Uh, what will you be involved with? Are you still going to be active in the transportation industry? I haven't made all of those decisions yet, Bernie. Uh, the first thing that I'm going to do is uh, my wife Kate and I are going to Australia for five weeks uh, to spend summer while all of you here in the U.S. are suffering through winter <laughs> uh, and to just decompress for a bit and uh, think about what that future might hold. Um, you know, I think it's going to be hard personally just to walk away and, and uh, not be doing something. Um, so it's possible and, and maybe even likely that I'll be doing some type of consulting. But I guess I would say at this point it's, it's safe to suggest that I probably won't be doing uh, full-time work uh, any longer. Well, Bud, we certainly want to wish you the best as you uh, look forward to your retirement and whatever may lie ahead beyond that. But thank you so much for being our guest on the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. We've been speaking with Frederick Bud Wright, the Executive Director of Ashto. And thank you again uh, and all the best. Thanks very much, Bernie. I appreciate it.